Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast, everyone. I'm Steve Carter, and in association with my good friends at CDF Capital, today I am thrilled that I get to have the chance, the opportunity to interview my friend Danielle Strickland. Uh, She's an author of six books, the last two, Better Together and The Ultimate Exodus. Um, She's an amazing, amazing preacher. I mean, we're going to talk about her preaching. It's just absolutely been a profound blessing in my life. She teaches across the country. She leads and coaches through the Women's Speaker Collective. She's, She's someone who starts a new initiative every time I talk with her. She's doing something to better the world. Um, she's just someone I deeply, deeply respect. If you've not heard of her, like I often do on this podcast, I want to give you a little taste of her sound. And this is from a teaching from last October um, at the Meeting House, this amazing church in Toronto. And uh, she's actually teaching on a water ski. And she is like, talking about surrender and letting go. So watch this, and then I'll introduce Danielle, and we'll dive right into the conversation on craft and character. While this was happening, all of these things were going on in my mind and in my brain and in my life. Like all of these things, the stories from scripture were coming, the the invitation I felt in the moment. You know, I actually even recorded while I was on the back of water skis, I had my iPhone in my, uh, in my jacket, my life jacket, and I was recording right from the back. So you might even see that I'm actually talking while I'm water skiing. This is crazy town. Now you can imagine those recordings didn't come out very well. <laughs> so I, uh, although they're really funny, maybe I'll play them another time. But basically, it is this this overwhelming idea that while I'm living my life, I hear this invitation. I, I, I feel the teachings of Jesus. I can sense and feel the spirit challenging me and calling me. And all of these things are starting to happen where like what God said and what I've heard and what I've read in the scriptures and what I'm living and what I'm doing right now, all of these things are coming into this teachable moment, this habitat, this forming of the practice of surrender. And that's what I'm sharing with you. I'm sharing this because one of the things I love about Jesus is he's never just kind of teaching in a vacuum. He's not just sitting down talking about theological things things that have nothing to do with uh, people's everyday life. He's like, look at that tree, see that fruit. He's like, look at the farmer uh, goes to sow a thing. Look at the widow and on and on this goes, right? There's a father and a son and like everything Jesus is sharing and teaching, even from the scriptures have to do with everyday life, this habitat, this practice. And surrender is exactly that thing for me. This is not just some theological thing that I do in a vacuum. This is something that happens on a daily basis. So this is me sharing one of those moments with you from the back of a boat this summer at Wesley Acres. You're gonna see some things that probably I wish you didn't see, but I'm gonna share them in my own moment of surrender uh, and, uh, and put them out there just to say, this is my experience. This is my hope. This is one of those moments. And these moments are gonna happen in your life over and over and over and again. So let's check this out. Please send in your questions and let's uh, turn this into a dialogue. Uh, let's check this video out uh, together. Well, Danielle, thanks so much for joining us on the Craft and Character Podcast. I absolutely love, love, love every time I get the chance to hang with you or learn from you. How have you been? Hey, Steve. So good to see you and be with you on this awesome podcast. Thanks for doing it. I've been listening in. It's been rich and beautiful. And also I'm kind of blushing with your intro. So thanks for being so kind. (laughs) No, seriously, it's true. It's true. I've been like the rest of the world, you know, just kind of stuck. 
uh, try to make the best of this moment. Try not to miss what the gifts are in the midst of all this like chaos. I've always said and always believed that chaos is a starting place, not an ending place. So looking kind of for where God is doing his new work, his new creation. And then also disruption is always an invitation, not a threat. So then I'm I'm like going, okay, I'm disrupted. You got my attention. Where's the invitation? So just trying to practice what I preach, I guess, uh, is what I've been doing the last year. Well, I think that's really fascinating because, you know, one of the the pieces I love about your teaching is it, it always feels like an invitation, invitation to a practice, invitation to a deeper insight, but you're not afraid of tension. You're not afraid of chaos. And you're not afraid to really push the audience uh, to a form of feeling internal spiritual disruption. Now, you don't do that to shock people. You, you do this and like pastor people through a better invitation. You did that on this teach uh, that we just got a little taste of. Um, it, I don't know if you, you remember it. I'm, I, I, I mean, how oh, I remember have you it. done? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> from, a, from, a, from a water ski, but like. I still, um, I think I have a permanent bruise on my third <laughs> rib over that preach. But anyway. <laughs> can, can you talk about that? Because what I love, I'll just say this. I loved how the, the, the message began. And it, it starts out with all of these quotes, like Augustine, uh, something from Alcoholics Anonymous. I think this third step, uh, there was, there was something from the clash. And then, you know, then it says, take courage, do not be afraid. And then Jesus. And, and then it goes to you and you, you teach and then you go to the water ski and then you actually interact with the community that's like watching. But that yeah. there was just something so rich and human and personal. Can you, can you give us a little backstory on that teach and where it came from? Yeah, sure. I think there are a couple combinations. Like one, I am uh, perpetually curious, like I just as a person. So like, I'm always like, what else could we? And I was literally just getting bored out of my tree, uh, being the talking head, but also even watching other talking heads. Like I was just like, is this really the best that we could do uh, when we're, you know, I know that we're stuck in some measure, but like surely this if we're online and we have a video, like maybe there's other things we could do that like explore sort of our, our communication style. So I think partly I was just stuck. And then also I was um, water. I was invited to water ski with this family. I'm not a water skier because I I've never had that kind of life where I could be a water skier. And so I'd water skied like 15 years previously. So I was kind of relearning how to water ski. I'm pretty athletic. So it wasn't like terrible, but it was pretty sad And I was thinking to myself, the whole time I was water skiing, it was just this flood of spiritual truth. Like I was just like, oh, wow, like I've got to hang on when it feels like I should let go. And then I've got to let go when it feels like I should hang on. And like, there's (laughs) this like delicate. And the whole time I was doing it, I had this conversation with this lady echoing in my mind where she was like, I'm really confused about surrender because you say I'm supposed to hang on, but when do I let go? And then do I let go of everything? And when is that like, you know, what is that just giving up? And I was like, this is a real tension in people's lives and in my life. And, and so I think my best, you know, Jesus of course is my ultimate example. And that's kind of, that's what he did. Like he felt the tension in the space And then he used what he had where he was. Like Jesus is constantly like, look at that farmer. There was a widow. Oh, how about that son? And I have a hunch, like when he's doing this, there's somebody like he's literally like, you know, moving his hand in that direction. See that vineyard over there. (laughs) And so I think for me, like the disembodiment of preaching, you know, where it's like we're preaching about something that doesn't connect with people's uh, own spiritual life. 
or where they're at, that's already a problem. I feel like preachers spend most of our, at least good communicators spend most of our times trying to connect. And then you had this like also extra disconnection of now not even being in the space where you could feel the connection. So for me, it was just like, this is the best, you know, this is something different. It's the best I can do. And how if I just share with you what's happening with me in my everyday life kind of thing. That's beautiful. You, you know, you just said something that I think is, I hope every person listening uh, just caught that. He said, Jesus felt the tension and would use what he had. Have farmer, seeds, you know. That I think is something that's really true about how you communicate and how you preach is when you're when you are reading the text, you've like you sat in it, you've you felt it. Like you felt that conversation with that woman. You could feel her wrestling in the way that you told that story. You could feel just the tension of letting go, holding on, all of that. And I think oftentimes, you know, many good communicators, like you said, are trying to connect and they're, they're looking for some kind of story or some kind of humor, some kind of illustration. But the thing that really connects is, can you feel the tension and the ache that your listeners are feeling? And, you know, I used to always joke with you because when, whenever you came to Chicago to preach, um, something bad happened, um, like lightning storm, all the power would go out. I mean, it was like, um, there was just this, this, <laughs> this ability that you came. I remember one time you, you had, you had taught on the minor prophets and it, you, I like, I felt it so bad. I couldn't even stay in the room. Like I went outside and I was like, God, I just like, you, you're saying something. Um, like talk about that feeling the tension. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of communicators struggle with that, how do you do that? Because you do that really well. I probably struggle with that in the opposite direction. So, <laughs> so I have to like, so where I come from, sort of the prophetic margins, right? I come from serving the poor on the edges, sort of in these really gritty, justice sort of places. So like my early speaking, itinerant speaking was mostly just like, I used to smash things on stage and I get <laughs> tattoos on stage. Partly it's just because like, I found it hard to pay attention to speakers. So I wanted to like, you know, it was my, uh, what is my, my husband calls it my stunt preaching days, you know, where it's like, there's got to be a stunt. But then also I just felt like God wants to communicate. He wants to disturb us. He wants, because he wants us to move somewhere. And so I would say that disruption would be part of a calling that I have in my life to the body. And then I think I just, as I grew older, I realized that actually this should be kind. <laughs> wow. Like I, this should be kind because actually I'm not, if I'm just disrupting people without an invitation, then yes. I, what am I doing? I'm just adding to, you know, the angst in the world. Congratulations. You know, you made people feel uncomfortable. Well done, you know? So yeah. I think for me, I stopped wanting to just like disrupt people. And I started wanting to see some movement and to, to invite people to something. And in that moment, I think then it changed. It went, I still have that disruptive because if you're not bringing some buddy with you somewhere, what are you doing? Just filling space, you know? And I remember in my early days, even of, of, uh, music and, um, or even my, my mom and dad are both preachers and my mother in the Salvation Army. And my mother used to say at the end of every preach she's ever heard, she used to say, so what? <laughs> so what? And I was like, every time I preach, I can hear my mom at the end going, so what? Wow. Like, why does this matter? Cause if you don't have a, so what, maybe just don't, don't do it. 
Like yeah. if there's no point, you know, if it's yeah. just high exegetical, feel good speaking, if they, we're not going anywhere, then what are we doing here? We're just wasting people's time. So that's a big part of me. Like I want to invite you to go somewhere with me. Uh, that's a big part of what I'm, I'm trying to do. Now, typically does your so what if, you know, if you had to break it down and say like a percentage, um, I think I have a guess of what I would say, f- uh, from my opportunities to listen and learn from you, but it seems like sometimes your so what goes to a practice and sometimes yeah. so what goes to, um, an initiative or like a, a justice kind of call, um, you know, obviously, uh, your husband, I think, is is one of the 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 purest evangelists uh, and and writers I've yeah. ever read or heard in our day. Um, so there's always like this like invitation to um, something more beautiful and 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 gracious and kind and obviously Jesus. Like it's just that. But like, and then sometimes obviously there's there's application in that. But I don't know. Like, do do you? It seems like you've you've got like one of those four in your kind of pushes um, to answer your mom's question. So what? Yeah, that's right. you know, I don't know. One is day that, I'll satisfy that, her. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it needs to be tiered, uh, and yeah. that's what I try to do is tiered the so what because, and I think this is beautiful too. This is what Jesus does with the stories, right? With parables, is yeah. there's all these layers, so there's levels of people watching you and listening to you. So you you have you know bought in Christians who are disciples for a long time. You're going to want to so what to be challenging to them, uh, and then you're going to have like you know brand new, maybe just spiritually curious people, and you're going to want to so what that's challenging for them. Yeah. So I think it has to be tiered. Uh, and I think, I think the other thing too, is like to not shy away from practical uh, yes. things for actually things for people to do. Like, and, and this is the great question after Peter does a wonderful sermon that kicks off the, the acts, you know, where people are like, so what do we do? Yeah. Um, like we got it. We're like, we're, we're convicted, but now what, like, what do we do now? And I, th- I think without being too, you know, again, like leaving room for there to be multiple ways of connecting and feeling this, this message, but what do we do now? I think that is, is more of a concern for the church than ever before. Uh, cause I think we spent a long time trying to, like, I do this when I work with organizations and churches now where people will say, I already want to help the poor. So much of my first 20 years of speaking was just trying to convince Christians this was a Christian thing to do. Yes. And now there was, then there was this like move where people were calling me to say, help us do it. Like I, we already, know, like I can't preach anymore that you should help the poor. Now I have to preach like this is how we do yeah. the things that God's called us to do. So I think there's a shift in preaching that people, um, that, I, that I sense. Okay. That, that's, that makes, I think it's so true. And it keeps me thinking though, if I called you and was like, hey, I've got this event. I'd love for you to speak on, um, I read this verse yesterday, 2 Peter 3, 12. And it's basically like you ought to live good and holy days as you look uh, toward the day of the Lord and speed up his coming. <laughs> That's my husband's. Words. That's my husband's life verse. What? I didn't know that. He's in a competition with everyone else in the world to see if he can get the last person saved so Jesus can come back. Oh, <laughs> I, I love this. Okay. So Which like, I'm always I'm, like, honey, I don't think love's competitive, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> From one three to another, I'm like, yes, I love this, you know. Uh, but like the the piece of like feeling the tension. If I like gave you a verse or gave yes. you a chapter of scripture, what do you do with it? 
And you're like, yeah. okay, I, I have not taught on this passage before. Yeah. Walk me through a little bit of your steps and process to feel that tension. Yeah. Okay. So exegete, 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 right? So this is for yeah. communicators. What that, like, what is it saying? What is the text saying? And I think this is more important now than ever before because uh, we're learning things that we thought. So I just started a new podcast series called Mind Blown, which are things I thought I knew that I was wrong about. And most of it is scripture and theology, right? Like, so I just, I assumed that these things were true. And then I read my Bible accordingly. So the a popular one I used to speak about is I was pretty sure that Jesus came to stick it to the Pharisees. Uh, that's, you know, his dual mission was to save the world and stick it to the Pharisees. And then, you know, I read it again and that the Holy Spirit helped me that like he was never against the Pharisees actually ever. He was always, it was literally like, you know, when preachers would say, wow, Jesus ate with sinners, you know, and it was this big, like, whoa, I would read like Jesus ate with Pharisees and go, what? <laughs> uh, so he doesn't hate religious people, it turns out after all. And yes. that kind of thing. And which really helped me to also come to grips with the fact that I had more in common with Pharisees than anyone else in scripture. So <laughs> maybe he didn't ha hate me either, you know? So I think the exegetical part of our, our, you know, I'm just finished reading, reading, reading the Bible while black by Esau Macaulay, you know, just all of those you know, reading the Bible with the damned by Bob Eckblad was a book that shaped me about 20 years ago. And then of course, like doing Bible studies in a community where none of the sort of regular Christian suburban, you know, I, I remember doing a Bible study on the prodigal son and the, the, the Bible study guide had, you know, tell us the first time you tried to run away. And I mean, in their minds, it was like, you know, I packed a lunch and I went to the end of my street, like the suburban runaway. Yes. Yes. But of course, my living room was packed with oppressed people. So the first person was like, well, you know, my dad raped me for the third time. And I, you know, and I was like, ah, that's not the point of it. Like, I was like, I was like, I don't know what to do. And I realized like, oh, I've been reading the Bible through this lens and there are other lenses and that really, you know, that perspective shift. And so this is one of the things that I do is I always try to read the passage and the larger passage. So the whole book. So I would look at the whole book first. So you zoom out. But I would always try to read the passage from different perspectives. And this is yeah. one of the things I do at a boot camp is all assign people perspectives. We all read the same text. And then you do like a presentation based on your perspective. And if you can just begin to shift that perspective, because that's often where you'll find the tension is in that perspective shift. Like, how does a Roman read this? You know, how does a Jew read this? How does a Gentile read this? How does, you know, someone who's oppressed read that? How does a Roman centurion read this passage? So it's like, when you get that full, fuller, you're never going to get the fullest, but you're going to get a fuller perspective. That's where you'll, you know, sort of tease out some of where that tension is. Does it mean this? Does it mean that? And how do I know? And, uh, and getting to that tension dial literally is the difference between a really good good communicator and uh, one that's just filling in time. You know, I've never, I've never heard that before. Um, to, to really, to, to do that, you know, and just kind of that zooming out and just spending time focusing on how would the Roman centurion have read this story or how would this person, I, you know, I, 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 I think that's such a beautiful way of finding the tension. Like you're saying that's, man, that is really, really helpful. That's, that's, that's awesome. Well, and that's like two really good books. Lisa Sharon Harper, The Very Good News, she kicks off, which is, you know, just a beautiful book, I think, exploring the concept of shalom and what the gospel yes. really is. But she kicks off that book by saying, like, my great grandmother was a slave in America. And if my version of the gospel is not good news to her, then what is it? 
you know, so there we go. There's some tension right there. Perfect. Let's talk about that. Like, how can we say we have the good news and it not be good news to like right. a vast population that is oppressed, right? And then that's the same with Esau Macaulay. He starts his book off uh, and he says, you know, I used to read the Bible to my grandma, but she would never let me read Paul because Paul was the guy that the slavers used to keep people enslaved using, even though that's not, I uh, just for everyone listening, that's not Paul. That's a distorted version of Paul, but Paul's probably one of the most liberated Christians we'll ever meet. But, uh, but people distorted his words. So she couldn't hear Paul. So I think that's really, so then Esau sort of like, how can I be a Bible theologian and not read Paul? Like, how did my grandma come to know, you know, so just that tension, like, and even if this was interesting for me, because as a woman, Paul, of course, is really problematic. People use verses that Paul wrote to, you know, really suppress women's voices, to, you know, literally cut women out of the church and out of speaking. So I also used to feel that way as a young Christian before I looked more into Paul. I would feel that tension of like, he's telling me I can't speak in church. So I think that tension, instead of going like, okay, let's just not read Paul anymore, I, I think this generation's task is to say, okay, let's read Paul correctly. Like, yes. is he really saying that? Because it sounds like he's fighting with himself because he says other things <laughs> elsewhere. So like, what does that mean? And then to bring that up, you know, then everyone's leaning in, right? Like right. what? So I think not only, so exegetically reading it from the perspective that people would have heard it then. So that's an S, what does it say then in that place? And then hermeneutically, which is what does it mean now? And I think for hermeneutically, the same thing is true. I think we should also, what does this sound like to fill in the blank? What does this sound like to fill in the blank? So like a woman stuck homeschooling her kids who gave up her job uh, because someone's got to take the slack, which is like, you know, 60% of women right now. Uh, Or what about, what does this sound like to a business exec, you know, who's half his income and is wondering if he should lay his staff off. Like, what does this sound like to, uh, and you fill in the blank. And so I think that's also, that's also places where you can tease out, oh, this is where this is going to potentially land, or this is what this is going to sound like. Yeah, no, that's so, that's so good. You, you know, one of the, the, the pieces that, you know, that you do often is travel around the world and, and preaching now, obviously COVID, it's been a little bit different, but, you know, you'll be in, you know, amazingly predominantly white spaces you'll be in urban settings you'll be all over is that one of the tips that you'll use like okay i know i'm going to this suburban congregation so hey what's this text gonna feel like and you kind of go through that grid like practically um and then hey i know i'm I'm going to a different context or do you have kind of like a more general wider net like uh, for for the for the mom at home or for the business exec, like how how deep do you get to go when you know the the makeup of the congregation that you're speaking to? Yeah, so I think there's probably some adjustments that I would make per congregation to. In you know, one of my favorite uh, my favorite advice and examples that I've learned from in this regard is Bruxy Cavey, who's the co who's the uh, lead pastor at the Meeting House. Um, where I used to, I asked him cause he's, he, he has a very unusual preacher story. He's an introvert, like an extreme introvert and never, ever wanted to preach and kind of was pushed into it. And he's just brilliant. If you ever, you have a chance to check him out, he's brilliant, uh, exegetical teacher. And, and he said, um, to get over it, 
you know, to get over this like nervousness and the sense like he's not good at this and he's not enough. And like, you know, all that stuff that preachers deal with, uh, hopefully <laughs> that there's always this, this holy tension, right. That like, you're not going to be, you're not going to do this well enough. And he said, he gets out on the stage. This is his practice. He takes a deep breath, finds himself in the moment. And then he said, I look over these people and I love them. Wow. wow. And I just, it, and I, and, and then he said, because when you love somebody, you communicate differently. Mm. And, and, and I think less than sort of orchestrating, you know, the particulars of a story or the, the particular tensions, that's more of my prep, my own preparation is trying to invite. And by the way, I think this is best done in community. If you have some friends from different places and different perspectives to kind of tease some of those things out uh, together, that's way more fun. Uh, for preaching prep, by the way, but um, but this is more of a this is more of a posture in how I present. So you ch- like even if you're going to rebuke somebody, if you mm-hmm. love them, it sounds different. It sounds different. And so this has been since I had that interview with Bruxy, I've literally changed my mind about how I adapt to audiences. Is I, even if I'm not there in this COVID season before I begin to preach or whatever it is that I do, I try to imagine them and I just love them. I just love them. And then I begin speaking from that place. Like I'm with you. And I think, I think that matters. I think people know that about communication too, um, is they know your posture. Like if you're trying to prove something, if you're trying to show off, uh, if you're having fun, if you're with them, instead of like trying to teach to them. Yes. Uh, I think all of those things matter. But that one shift, I think, has mattered a lot, even if it's just in my own heart. Uh, the way that I communicate has been deeply shaped by just choosing to love people and speaking out of that spot. Man, I love that. I love that. You know, it's um, I've been to some Mennonite Anabaptist uh, communities and um, that, you know, do everything acapella, you know, or, and so somebody will start with a little like pitch pipe and they'll like blow it. And it doesn't make sense to me because I can't sing on pitch and I'm not mus- musical at all, but like I'll see it. And it's like, it just almost aligns the sound. And I've often thought about like, man, that's, that's a, a beautiful idea, you know? And but I think when you're talking about that posture and that practice of looking out at the congregation and, and saying, I love you, that, that is like that pitch pipe. It's setting the tune and the tone of, I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not. I'm trying to be someone that actually has a conversation with the congregation that I absolutely 100% love. That is, that's such a beautiful, beautiful picture. And again, Daniel, this is what you do, like constantly. You always bring it back to posture and practice. I <laughs> yeah. love it, and it always it always shapes me and changes me. That I feel like is so applicable to my life. And and part of this podcast is yes, we want to get better at the craft of communication. God works in amazing ways through uh, His inspired Word and and through broken people like like me. And 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 I, I think it's it's. It's amazing what God can do through a message. But I always want to be the kind of people that our character is leading the way. And yeah. you've you've just, I feel like over the last man, five, seven years that I've like really gotten to follow and know you, 
I'd just been kind of ushering in practices. Um, I remember infinitum, like this was something that you were doing. Um, at the end of your teachings, there would be a practice. There, Just again, these, these gentle prophetic invitations to a life that's more deeply aligned with Jesus. Um, where did that for you come from, that desire, that to really bring people to uh, that kind of posture? Yeah, I think these two things overlap because, you know, I think the great power in good communication is your authenticity. Yeah. And, um, and so if it's not real, like if the so what isn't real, if it's fake, uh, it has no power. You know, the scripture says that the power is in the good news. It's in the gospel, but it's in the truth. It's in the truth. So if it's not true, it might be entertaining. You know, wow. you still might be good at it, but it yep. actually has no power. And like I said, I'm in this to move people somewhere and you can't move people somewhere without power. Yeah. Uh, and there's no power without authenticity. So I think for me, it just comes back to good communication. Good communicators communicate out of an authentic place. And that authentic place, uh, in order for it to be healthy, <laughs> requires some work. And, and that, again, it's, you know, if you're not speaking from an authentic place, then you're usually, you know, contributing to this, like, disconnection within yourself. And that's only going to lead to worse and worse things. You know what I mean? You're going to be, become more and more disconnected. So I always say to people, like, there'll always be a disconnection in prophetic preaching because you're calling people to a future that's not here yet. So everyone will feel the tension in that, including you, because it will feel a little bit like you're a hypocrite. Yeah. Uh, you can address that. Like, I'm, I often say this. I'm preaching to myself here, guys. Like, we're doing this together. But, um, but my, my, you know, sort of rule of thumb is that wherever that gap is, wherever that tension is, that you're not quite there yet, but you're preaching there, the only way to... Uh, resolve this in a way that will increase and enrich your life and other people's life is to move towards it, wow. is to try to lessen that gap by moving towards it and practicing it in your own life. And that way, that tension then becomes containable. We're, it is a holy tension. It's meant to be there to keep us hungry and thirsty for more of God. So I think that the, the, the damaging way of communication is when there's that tension and then we just kind of cynically go, well, you know, none of us are, part, and we just kind of let that tension widen and then eventually dissipate because we're just not who we say we are. Um, and so I think you're either moving one way or the other. So for me as a preacher, I want to constantly, I want to identify the tension as a way of moving me and not just the people I'm, I'm speaking to. And so the practices like infinitum, uh, which is a, a, a rhythm of life, it's like a rule of life that's open to anybody. So it's like an open rule of life. Uh, and it's just really just guidelines, ways, means, rhythms, postures that we've discovered that have been game changers for us to keep that relationship with Jesus fresh, uh, which keeps us authentic, which I think then that creates the power of a really good communicator is this authentic connection to God. Um, so even, you know, before uh, Bruxy's interview, I used to also, whenever, but this is itinerant preaching too, when you're preaching to your own people, usually they do a good job of keeping you humble. But when you're preaching to new people and you're sort of on these stages and stuff, there is this sort of big ego thing that happens. And the best of us, you know, are, are getting consumed. So I remember being like backstage and having these questions swirling around in my mind, like, will I be good enough? Like, will they like me? Like, is this, am I, why me? You know, and if, if you, if you look at all of those questions, they're all me centered questions. And so whenever I would start becoming aware of this, I would ask this question instead, how can I serve? 
how can I yeah. serve here? So it would just get me out of the center, get the people I'm there to serve back into the center. Like, how do I serve here? Not like, am I going to be good enough? Not like, am I the right, just, but how do I serve? How do I use what I have to serve some other people? And of course, this is one of the questions of infinitum. So there are three postures that I'm working on every single day. One, surrender which is just like, this life is not mine. The gifts aren't mine, but also the burden's not mine. It's got to belong to God. And surrender is not something I've discovered that happens one time. It's something that keeps on happening. So I daily surrender my life to the Lord, just this day. I can't tell you I'm going to be good at this for a whole year, but today I'm going to live a surrendered life. And then uh, generosity is the other one, is this open-handed living. And I don't. you only have to be around cheap Christians for a couple minutes to know that's not how you want to live your life. <laughs> uh, but I would say that posture, this generous posture in this season has been the hardest to practice, to stay open, to stay generous uh, in a sort of a scarcity fear-based, you know, like there's not enough, we're not going to be okay uh, season. And that's just like uh, generosity for me also, and this might be helpful for some other communicators has also been receiving freely. Yes. So I used to think that generosity was just about giving more. And if you didn't give till it hurt, it wasn't giving, you know, that kind of like sacrificial idea of generosity, which is again, just cheap. Uh, in the end, what that is, is just cheap uh, because God is uh, unlimited in his generosity. So this idea of opening up my life to receive generously, that then enables me to give out an overflow instead of, you know, trying to like get the last of the, the thing in the bucket. And then uh, the final one is mission, which is how do I serve? How does my life serve others where I'm not at the center of this thing? And just those three, those three postures that I've been practicing, daily I say a prayer, weekly I talk to another person that we're both working on this together. It's called a hub. And monthly I try to challenge myself to do something fresh and different uh, so that it keeps my relationship with Jesus alive and new and invigorated. And it's really not rocket science. Like, I just feel like it's so simple, but here's what I've learned. I've learned that, especially in the Western church, we're so used to talking and thinking about God and not actually living or practicing mm. the way of Jesus, that it has created this like disconnect within us. And it's been so damaging. And we see that I think in the church. So I'd love to just, you know, talk less, practice more. Gosh, that's beautiful. You know, what's amazing is if I go back to the beginning part of what you're saying, those practices of surrender and generosity and mission and the ways that you broke those down and, and even just committing today to the Lord, it keeps you authentic because you're, it keeps you human. It keeps you dependent. It keeps you expectant. It keeps you just in a, a posture that uh, can cultivate the best kind of fruit. <laughs> and, and I think when that happens, that's where the truth and the power comes and the gospel is even more powerful. But when we don't have those practices, mm -hmm. then I don't think we're, we're offering up authenticity. We're often offering up efficiency or we're offering up s some, you know, disintegrated self. So then the power gets manipulated. The yeah. power, then, and then the good news in the gospel gets, it's not about serving them or about, I love this congregation. It's about what can they give to me? And, and so it's, man, I just, I, I'm not trying to make it a formula, but I, but I'm seeing, gosh, these practices, the hard work into that, man, will keep you so authentic, keep your heart in the right place, which just will elevate the power of the gospel when we have the chance to preach it and live it. 
in our daily yeah. lives. And I think too, like people will always be like, how do you have all those stories? Like, you know, what about those stories? Cause I, I you know, I think stories are the epic, uh, the mountaintop of, of communication. And, um, and I'm always like, you don't have any story. Like the stories come from living the life. Like this, yes. they don't even have to be epic. You know, sometimes they're conversations with my kids, partly it's just the, the power of telling a good story. And that's a whole other podcast. And that should be, cause I think yeah. people need, need help and telling really good stories. Cause we have a lot to tell. But I also think it's also living, if you live a surrendered, generous, and missional, others-focused life, there won't be a lack of story. Uh, there's just, there's like God is constant. I'm encountering people and God on a regular basis off of stages, and I'm open to it. And that itself becomes this beautiful means by which God can help me as a communicator. So I love that. That is such a powerful point. And one side note, I was, uh, I was teaching... Um, I last year and I, I quoted something that you said um, and I think it was on surrender. The, the quote that I, I used for, uh, that you had preached a while back and a couple came up and I started talking and they're, they're, you know, probably my age and um, they're like, you, you know, Danielle Strickland. I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, we've, we've interacted friends, da, da, da. And um, she, she uh, is, says, you know, um, we, we, uh, she, she did our wedding. And I was like, oh, tell me, like, what, what, like in, in the U.S. or no, no, in Toronto. And I knew, I knew an amazing, like, story of a wedding. And I was like, I heard her give a teaching once of a wedding that happened, like, in the Skid Row area. And, I, and someone came out. And before I could say dumpster, she's like, out of the dumpster during our <laughs> wedding. And I was like, you, it, it was just such an awesome moment of, like, I met the couple from this amazing story right. that I heard in a sermon five years earlier. And right. it was just this beautiful moment. But again, there's when you're living this life that's open to God, yeah. how can you not have the stories that are going to be powerful and transforming? Because that's what God does. That's what right. God does. And you embody that so, so well. Danielle, thanks for joining us. Thanks for for taking the time to just talk about your personal practices, talk about the art and the craft of preaching. Um, I just think the world of you, where, where can people find you? Um, because you, again, I, I, I joked a little bit up front, you're always launching amazing initiatives. Um, but but um, I'd love to, to like point people to you, but then also before we totally get off, I want to ask about Better Together because I love that book. But yeah, talk, talk about where they can find you. Oh, sure. So simple. DanielleStrickland.com. You can go there and then I'm on all the social media handles. I'm not too hard to get a hold of. Uh, awesome. so, so reach out there. Yeah, that's great. Hey, and then you, you, your last book, I, I think my, I, I really loved even your second to last book, the ultimate Exodus. Um, seriously, like it, you, you need to read this book, everyone. And then this last one, it was really, really timely, especially with everything that was happening in the world. Could you just give a little little basis on that and where people can find Better Together? Because I think it's so, so important. Yeah, Better Together is how women and men can heal the divide and work together to transform the future. It was kind of born out of the Willow Creek Global Leadership Summit like meltdown that you uh, know much about, Steve. And, um, and I was asked to speak uh, at the summit um, on this topic right in the middle of sort of Heibel's being accused of all of this 
uh, harassment and abuse um, and them not, you know, not knowing what to do. And everybody just, I think after, right in the middle of the Me Too movement and the Church Too movement and everyone just going like, ah. And I literally felt, you know, in my heart that the, the backlash in this movement was not going to be against men. It was going to be against women which is ironic, but that's a whole other conversation. And, uh, and you could see out of fear, people were going like, oh yes, let's get women out of this picture. So I really felt like the Lord was calling me to speak a word. And uh, I had 27 minutes to speak it, but it's a big word. Um, and there was a lot that I learned in trying to just get that 27 minutes uh, right. And so I put all of that you know, all of that that I learned in a book form and said, if you really want to change the game, which I believe the church is meant to model uh, a beautiful reconciliation to the world. And if you're paying attention, by the way, as a communicator to all of the issues, uh, it's all a conversation. It's all a longing for reconciliation, which is at the heart of all created things. So if we cannot model what reconciliation looks like, and a thriving relationship looks like to the community. We really don't have a gospel to preach. It's just that simple. So this is uh, for church leaders and church teams and communicators and everybody who wants to have a look at like, how can we actually collaborate men and women together to model this beautiful flourishing thing called the kingdom of God? It's so beautiful. I, I've handed that book and a church called Tove out to elders and leaders because I just think these two books just do a great job of articulating and painting a picture that really can help, you know, teaching teams, uh, executive staffs, ministry teams, volunteer teams, just actually have a more biblical view of how we can truly be better together. So, Daniel, it's an amazing read. I'm so grateful for your voice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone who's tuning in, Hey, share this podcast. Uh, feel free. If you want to learn more about what we're doing, go to craftandcharacter.org. Um, we will be back in two weeks with another great episode. And if there's ever any ways that I can serve you, feel free. Reach out to me at, via email or on social media. My email is steve at steveryancarter.com. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace. And until next time, let's be people who take our craft seriously, but take our character and going deep with Jesus even more seriously. Much love. Bye-bye.